In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Uh, tonight we have Michael Mohara, Dr. Michael Mohara. He hates it when I call him that. Uh, he is going to talk about Feast of the Circumcision, why we do what we do. Um, anything else I need to mention? Is that no, that's it? Okay, all right. Four is all right, fine. <laughs> so, um, this is just kind of like a, like a discussion, and uh, if you have Bibles on your phones, it may be more useful to kind of follow along, and then part of it I just kind of wanted to split up some readings uh, to try to make it more kind of useful. Um, So there are a lot. Yes. Okay. So um, so there are a lot of phrases that we that we use and a lot of things that we do in life that uh, we end up doing them so frequently that we that they sometimes lose meaning. So that's the theme of today's talk. Um, so for example, this picture. I don't know if you've ever seen these lines. Uh, sometimes at the airport or at the bank when they're empty, and then sometimes people will still go through like the whole thing as opposed to just kind of going around to the front. Um, so it has a purpose, but sometimes we do it so often that we just forget like why it's there. It's there for when there's a crowd, but it's not there when there's one or two people in line. So on January 14th, uh, we celebrate the Feast of the Circumcision. Of Jesus Christ and it's a minor feast of our Lord and it's often overshadowed because it's in between two other bigger feasts so the Feast of the Nativity and the Feast of Epiphany so um, any comments about the Feast of the Circumcision like any thoughts Does anybody celebrate with their families you guys have like a big dinner at home like Yeah, um, you know, do you like take off like, you know, do you take a half day that day for work or no? It's not a big, it's not a big thing. Um, so there's probably good reason that it's not a big thing. And yet um, I think, you know, when I was trying to think about the Feast of the Circumcision, what it would mean to me. And I think it has um, a lot of meaning, but perhaps not for the reason that I would originally think. So um, when I say what is circumcision, you don't have to describe it in detail. If you don't know what circumcision is, please let me know and I will describe it. Um, and that's okay if you don't know what it is. That's perfectly fine. Um, but uh, like, how would you describe the purpose of circumcision is I guess what I would say. Okay, so that's, that's what actually happens. Yeah, so it's an actual like surgical, it's a minor surgical procedure. Uh, and in this case, I'm talking about male circumcision. Female circumcision is a different, different kettle of fish completely. Um, so uh, that's actually what happens. It's a, it's a procedure. Um, any, any purpose to it? So, um, 
it's a medical procedure, so some people do it for medical purposes. There are a few medical reasons to do it. Um, it where did circumcision start from a religious perspective? Anybody know? Yeah, the Old Testament. Any any ideas in the Old Testament? Where in the Old Testament? Abraham, yeah. Abraham, yeah, Genesis. For some reason, because it's this week. Oh, and this, coincidentally. Um, and uh, there's often a word that we use when we talk about circumcision, a blank with Abraham. God had a blank with Abraham. A covenant, that's right. Not a convent, but a covenant. And... Um, any other reasons why people do circumcision? Let's pretend it's not a medical purpose, and let's pretend they're not doing it because they have a covenant with Abraham. Any other reasons why people do it? Nowadays, you mean? Uh, in general. In general. So actually, there, there are a lot of people, uh, and there's a long history of circumcision in the Coptic church. Um, any ideas why that is? Not necessarily in the Coptic Church, but among Copts, I'll say. It's probably a better way to say it. So it's also a social cultural practice uh, amongst uh, a lot of people, uh, more so amongst uh, Middle Easterners, uh, but uh, around the world. So yes, an Old, Old Testament sign of the covenant, a social cultural tradition amongst some cultures, a spiritual symbol, which we'll talk about today, and a medical practice. Genesis 17. Good job, Abuna. You win Bible trivia today. So uh, if you want to open up Bibles, the rest of this is going to be like a lot of kind of picking and choosing verses um, because um, I think overall there's like a very nice theme, like a, a bit of an ironic theme, but a very, a very nice theme when it comes to, to uh, circumcision. So if you want to read verses, can somebody pull up 17, 9 to 14 and read, read the, the five verses there? Yeah, go for it. So um, that's God's description to Abraham about uh, God wanting him to fulfill his part of the covenant. So basically, the first part before this verse, God is saying, I promise you this, this, and this. I need you to do this as your part of the agreement or the covenant. And he basically says, I need you and your male descendants to be circumcised. And the emphasis at the end is that if you are not circumcised or somebody from your people is not circumcised, they're not part of the people. <coughs> there are multiple other places where circumcision pops up in the Old Testament. Um, so this is a, a, a tiny little passage in Exodus about Moses 
uh, that kind of speaks to the last verse of the last passage? Anybody want to read this one? Or anybody know off the bat what I'm referring to? It's about Moses and circumcision. This one is hard because it's literally only mentioned in these three, two or three verses. Anybody want to read it? Anybody got it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, so Moses, if you'll recall, um, grew up in Pharaoh's house. Um, Moses then went to Sinai, where he got married, to someone who is not Hebrew. And then God sent him back after the burning bush to Egypt. And while he was doing God's work, suddenly in the middle of this passage, God wants to kill him. And immediately, it's almost like his wife, Zephora, knows exactly what to do. So we have to assume that there was some kind of discussion about this, unless she's telepathic. But um, So it sounds as though God took circumcision pretty seriously, because he basically told Moses, I don't care if you grew, if you grew up in a different culture, and I don't care if your wife is from a different culture, like I told Abraham, if you want to be part of my people, I want you to live by the covenant. So I gave you one part of the covenant. That's all you have to do. So just do that part of the covenant. Okay? Anybody know what uh, kind of the next time that it comes up is in Joshua? Anybody know what this refers to, Joshua, in the beginning of Joshua? What's going on in the beginning of Joshua or the book of Joshua? Yeah, they're entering the promised land, right? Um, and so this little passage, uh, uh, does anybody want to read it real quick? Yeah, go for it. At the time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel against the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. And this is the reason why Joshua, Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were male, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, till all the people who were born so all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn their fathers that he would give us, and then flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place, where they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. So this is this is a little more interesting because it kind of speaks to that kind of theme that I that I, that I was thinking about is that so uh, all the people that came out of Egypt, um, the majority of them did what during the forty years <laughs> in the wilderness. By the time they got to the promised land, the majority of them, Sorry. yeah, they died. Um, and then their children who grew up in on the way to the promised land, they weren't circumcised along the way. It's almost like they just took like a moratorium or a break from circumcision for the time that they were traveling. 
So the people who perished, why did they perish? It says, I think, in the passage. Yeah, we know that that's what they were doing. And, and we know that God only granted basically two of them to show up at the promised land and everybody else didn't make it. So the ones who were circumcised got to Sinai but didn't get to the promised land. And their children who had not yet been circumcised, God said, well, before you come into the promised land, let's, let's get back to circumcising everyone so that they're part of the covenant. So lots of circumcisions going on. But... It almost sounds as though God is not just happy with circumcision, even from a very early time. Although he emphasizes it to his people as part of this covenant, it sounds as though it's not just like a magic trick, right? Because the people who didn't make it to the promised land, they were circumcised. Okay, um, can someone read uh, the verse upon which this feast is based? So this is this is the circumcision of Jesus. Anybody got it? Pretty simple verse. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Is it? Okay. Sounds pretty straightforward. In fact, the next part doesn't really refer to the circumcision specifically. It refers to something that's closely related. It refers to a ceremony that happens uh, a little bit later, um, and specifically something that happens for the firstborn son. And so Jesus is offered um, uh, automatically because he's the firstborn son to God, and he, in Jewish tradition or Jew in, from Leviticus, they used to make a sacrifice in order to to keep him. And if you were rich, you made a sacrifice, I think, of like a mammal of some sort, like a sheep or a goat. But if you weren't rich, you made a sacrifice, I think, of two turtle doves. And so in the next part of the passage, St. Mary and Joseph give two turtle doves uh, because they're not rich. But, that, but the circumcision is just like one verse, and yet there's like a feast for it. So... Um, if you think that circumcision should have kind of been old news by this point and that you're not surprised that it's only one verse and it's kind of like game over now because we have something else, <clears throat> baptism, um, then, then you're not alone, but it would be inaccurate to say that it's not a big deal in the New Testament. And I'm going to prove that to you. So far we've had about three or four explicit passages about circumcision that's not the only time it's ever described in the Old Testament, but these are the kind of the most common, like, like in-your-face descriptions of it. And yet, it is a bigger deal in the New Testament than it ever was in the Old Testament. So, in Acts chapter 15, we won't read this whole thing, but to what does this passage refer to? Any guesses from the picture? Or the topic? Close. Um, we're going to get to that. But this whole chapter is... Yeah, yeah. And this is the first, like, church council. So this is the Council of Jerusalem. So we talk we talk about the Council of Nicaea, Council of Constantinople, Council of Ephesus, Council of Chalcedon. Um, 
But the first church council was the Council of Jerusalem, and it's and it's documented in Acts. And circumcision is a big part of it. So not to belabor the point, but basically the apostles were preaching, and they knew that Jesus had wanted them to preach not just to the Jews, but also to Gentiles. And there was a lot of kind of controversy. If you were a Jew and you grew up Jewish, and you saw that Jesus was circumcised and grew up Jewish, it would make sense to you, and you saw how serious God took circumcision in the Old Testament, it would make perfect sense to you to think, well, to become Christian, I should probably become Jewish first, right? Like when I get into high school math, it's because I did junior high math, right? It wouldn't make sense to skip a step. So this came up as a big deal because those who were Christian who had been Jewish first said, well, you should be Jewish first or you should be circumcised and then baptized and then and then into the church. And then the Gentiles said, well, gee, we don't understand. Why is this the case? But more importantly, there were a few key events and acts that convinced the apostles that the Holy Spirit didn't plan on it that way. Any ideas of any events in Acts that suggested otherwise? <coughs> suggested you could skip to high school math if you wanted to? Any events? Yeah. Yeah, very good. So St. Peter, when he's preaching to Cornelius, um, in the dream, Jesus, God tells Peter, um, you know, all of my creation is clean. It's not just unclean if it's, if it's not Jewish. Any other events? Again, while they're preaching? So uh, I think Peter refers to it during this chapter, but there's another event where the apostles are preaching and... The Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit and they haven't been baptized yet. So in fact, the message to them was God wants them to have the Holy Spirit just like you do. And they said, and the, the phrase that's used in the Bible is the same, the same measure or it's the same way that we have the Holy Spirit, they receive the Holy Spirit. They hadn't been baptized yet. Certainly hadn't been circumcised yet. So then they said, well, if they've already had the sacrament of confirmation, then they obviously need the sacrament of baptism, and there was no question that they needed to be Jewish first. So at the end of this council, there's a big kind of decision from the church and says, you know, it seems good to us that we don't burden non-Jews with the idea of circumcision and going through all of the Old Testament law, just avoid uh, sacrifice, bloody sacrifices and eating things that were sacrificed to idols, Basically, avoid idol worship and sexual immorality as it relates to worshiping idols. And said, if you do that, then okay, that's fine. That's the part of the law that probably matters the most. And being circumcised isn't exactly what we're talking about, and it's not necessary for Christianity. So this is a big deal. Any ideas on circumcision among Copts? Do any Copts get circumcised? Yeah, so was it ever mandated? Was it? I don't know. I don't know. I had to look it up. I didn't know. So, apparently, from my understanding, I wasn't there, but 
Apparently, so there are some sources that claim that circumcision came to cultures around the Middle East like Egypt at the time of Ishmael. Remember, Abraham's son Ishmael. That's probably inaccurate. Although it is quoted, it is probably inaccurate. The most likely time that circumcision was commonly being done in Egypt was somewhere between uh, the advent of Islam and the uh, 1100s. And this is based on some writings amongst the Coptic church. By the time the 1100s came, many people who were Copts were getting circumcised, although prior to that, the church had been saying, what do you think the church would have been saying? Yes or no to circumcision? Yes, no, or we don't care? Actually, the opposite. The church was saying no, and why? Because of the Council of Jerusalem. Because it sounded like you don't need to be circumcised. So the church said, okay, don't do that. You don't need to be circumcised. Just be baptized. You're a Gentile. You're not a Jew. And then it became like a cultural practice. And then there's some writings that suggest that people felt somewhat socially obligated to circumcise because there was also like a party at the time, you know, much like the big dinner party you guys are planning on having on January 14th. But there was like a big, uh, like it was like kind of like an early like post-birth you know, zero birthday. You know what I mean? What we do for baptism, you know, we can't handle waiting for first year birthday or whatever to celebrate the kid. So there's probably a cultural aspect to it. And Copts probably wanted to be somewhat similar to their non-Coptic neighbors in Egypt. And so then the church kind of came down with some guidelines in the canons that, okay, if you want to be circumcised, just make sure you do it before <laughs> baptism. And the rationale for this was probably so that nobody thinks that this is what this is what initiates you into, into the body of Christ. The emphasis is that, okay, if you're going to be circumcised, do it early, and then you're baptized into the church. And that's the one that, that, that we care about. And then over the years, that suddenly turned, at some point, that turned into, it was such a common practice that there are some writings that would suggest that some people in the church thought that it was mandatory to be circumcised. The rule of being circumcised before baptism became, well, you have to get circumcised before baptism, as opposed to if you're going to get circumcised, just make sure you do it before baptism. And now we can ask Abuna, is there a rule that a Coptic Christian needs to be circumcised? And the answer is? Doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't matter. Now is nice and simple which is actually the way it always was in the beginning. And in fact, if we want proof that it was always this way, even back at that time, we don't have to look much further than the biggest source of writing about circumcision in the New Testament or probably in the Bible is Saint, Saint Paul. He can't get enough about talking about this. And it almost gets out of hand. You always want to, sometimes you read about it, you want to tell, say, okay, I get it. I don't, it doesn't matter if I'm circumcised. It doesn't apply to me. It doesn't matter anymore. Okay, talk about something else. But in fact, if you read the, the detail and the meaning behind what he's writing, it actually makes a whole bunch of difference, even beyond what the Council of Jerusalem said. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. It's not obligatory. <laughs> So I don't know if people want to split up some of these and we take like maybe five minutes of, of quiet time to read some of these passages. Um, maybe 
this first kind of four people here, you guys can kind of read. You don't have to read three chapters in Romans, but maybe kind of like read chapter 2, 25 to 29. You can kind of look over some verses in chapter 3 and chapter 4. The next group, if you guys want to look over Philippians 3, uh, maybe the three of you on the left can look over 1 Corinthians 7, and then the three of you uh, next door can look over Galatians 5 and 6. You can skim it if you like. And then Ephesians chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 8, and then Colossians 2 and 3. Maybe we take about five minutes just to kind of go through and see if anybody can pull some verses about circumcision. Sorry? Yeah, but you don't have to read. You can skim. You also feel free to, you are, you are I, I checked with the bosses on this, you are more than allowed to read these passages all in their entirety at home, like on your own time too. So I cleared it. I cleared it with everybody. They're open to the public. You're absolutely allowed to read all of them. Just this time only. You're welcome.
Oh yeah, which one is yours? Oh yeah. It doesn't actually use the word. So like, um, yeah. So uh, let me see which. Yeah. Um, yes. So when he talks about covenant, but he's taking it. There's a reason that I put that one lower down because um, he's taking it a little bit bigger than just circumcision, the act itself. And there's a very nice verse there. I don't know if you guys will pick the same verse that I picked. Please pick the same one. I have no idea which number. I didn't write down the number. I'm just kidding. Okay, maybe we'll go over some stuff uh, in general. And like I said, feel free to read these again and, you know. Um, okay, so the first group, uh, any take-home messages from your passage that you can share with the rest of us? Okay, and does he go on to say anything else about circumcision? Yeah. So, if so, circumcision was a sign of breaking or following God's law. Like it was like a, like it was like the kind of the big kind of umbrella under which the entire rest of the law was kind of be symbolized or based. Um, and then there's a special phrase that he uses in, in chapter 2. He says, he talks about how circumcision is inward. And so, remember, in the Old Testament, circumcision wasn't really considered inward. It was just take a flint stone and circumcise the kid. Um, and then in chapter 4, verse 11, what does he say about Abraham? He says that Abraham was justified by his faith before he was circumcised. So St. Paul is saying Abraham, who we look to as like the person who received the covenant from God, when he received the covenant, it's not like he was already part of the covenant. He was uncircumcised at the time, and yet his landmark faith was what God wanted from him and what God rewarded. So. And this, is, this applies for the rest of the discussion here. When St. Paul talks about circumcision, it's a big deal for him. Because don't forget, what was St. Paul's origin? St. Paul was? Jewish and? Roman. And what kind of Jew was he? Any? Yeah, he was a Pharisee. That's like, that's like the Marines of the, of the Jewish law. That's like, okay, I was in the army, but I wasn't like in the Coast Guard here. He was in, he was a Pharisee. So he, like, if anybody was brought up to believe that there is no negotiation, there is no further interpretation, you need to be circumcised, it would have been St. Paul. So for him to come out and start saying things like Abraham was justified by faith before he was circumcised is a big deal. And you'll see how big a deal later on. Who had Philippians 3? Philippians 3, by the way, is the, is the Pauline epistle on the Feast of the Circumcision. There's a funny, not funny, there's an interesting word choice in the New King James Version that St. Paul uses. Anybody caught it? Beware of the? Dogs. Mutilation, yeah, and he uses the word dogs. He's talking about this 
covenant practice that he fully lived as mutilation. And he talks about the people who push it to the Gentiles, because he's talking to Philippians, as dogs. That sounds pretty extreme. And it also sounds incongruent for our church to pick that reading on the day of the Feast of Circumcision. Why would St. Paul go out of his way to say, beware of the circumcision, and then use a term like that? What is he really saying? Is he saying, if you get circumcised, you're evil? But it sounds pretty bad. I don't want to be a dog, and I don't want to be mutilated. Any ideas? Yeah. Absolutely. The take-home message here is beware what you're doing and why you're doing it. The people he's referring to as dogs are the people who were pushing the need to be Jewish rather than accepting the Holy Spirit's message, which is, I need you to be baptized and I need you to live by your faith and works, not by the law of the Old Testament. That's the problem that St. Paul had. And that's why St. Paul was very heavy-handed with his words. He goes on to say, he counts this as a, if you guys read in, you may not have gotten to this in the whole chapter, but he counts this as a loss rather than a gain. And he talks about all the things that he counts as a loss. And what he's really describing is his whole life. He's basically confessing to the Philippians. He's saying, as a Pharisee, this was a loss. This is not gain for me for Christ. When I was a Pharisee and I used to focus on all of that and I used to persecute the way or the Christians because of that, that was actually taking me further away from Christ and further away from God, not gaining me closer to God like I thought it was. First uh, Corinthians? Yeah? Any uh, take-home from the, I think it was like six or seven verses? Any take-home message? That doesn't really matter whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised? Yeah, flip a coin. Yeah, he basically almost says flip a coin. And he says keeping the commandments of God is what matters, but the actual act of circumcision doesn't matter. Okay, Galatians 5, very similar. Yes, yes. Yeah, so again, circumcision here is being used as an umbrella term for practice of the law. And so I think the take-home message here he's saying maybe to the Corinthians is, for those of us, I'm speaking as St. Paul, who followed these practices because we felt that they brought us closer to God and we had good intention for doing so, we can. it's not wrong for us to keep doing it. And you're going to see the proof of his words later on. But he goes on to say, if you were called that while you were uncircumcised, then you don't need to be circumcised. So he's basically saying the same thing. He's saying it's the intention of what you're doing that matters. If you're going out circumcising because you think that this is what's going to get you into heaven, not correct. In fact, potentially detrimental like counting it as a loss. But if there were practices that you did, like you sacrificed to God, 
you read the Torah and that brought you closer to God, okay. But remind yourself that those acts are not what matters in the face of Christ's redemption. You can do them from a spiritual perspective. And in fact, that's pretty important for us. Why? There are lots of things that we do that on the surface look very superficial, but for some of us are a great like vehicle and mechanism for us to meditate on God and get closer to God. Pretty much all of the stuff that we do upstairs during the liturgy. Like if you were to ask someone who's not Christian to look at the Shurya, they would say, it kind of looks like smoke. I've seen smoke before. But that's not why we do it. We don't do it because we want smoke. We do it because it's meaningful for us. What's the symbol, by the way, for what's one of the, at least I can think of three symbols for the Shorya when, when, when Abuna goes around with the incense? Why? Why do we do it? What do we usually do during, during that time? Sorry? Yeah, we're singing, usually a hymn. What's Abuna doing the whole time, other than collecting all of the little papers that were given him? Yeah, he's praying constantly, right? And so what is the smoke? Okay, and what's the symbol for the Shoria as well? What's the other symbol? St. Mary. And what's the coal inside that didn't burn St. Mary? So the, And so if you look at the way the deacon in the altar brings the Shoria to Abuna, if you look at the part where Abuna is saying what he's saying, you can actually see why why the deacon in the altar brings the shuri at the point when Abuna is reading uh, the part about the incarnation of Jesus. So there's things that we do that on the surface may be meaningless to people, but in fact, the point is the intention. Okay, um, Galatians 5. <coughs> Yeah. Um, it was kind of along the similar lines in Zoom around whether you do it or not, it's, it's about faith. Faith to love. Exactly. Faith working through love. Great phrase. Great phrase because it reminds us it's not, it's not just, I was baptized, I was born again, it's faith, I'm done. <laughs> Pack up, go home. It's faith working through love. Great. So if you had to pick one summary phrase, of the faith works discussion, this would be the phrase. Faith working through love. And then later on, he discusses Christian liberty as an opportunity to indulge the flesh. We'll come back to that a bit later. And then he says at the end, I'm only going to brag about the cross, but I'm not going to brag about being circumcised. He's referring to his older life as a Pharisee. The Pharisees used to brag that they are the people of God, they are the people of Abraham, they're the people of the covenant, and that's why circumcision is so important. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2. So, that's okay, no worries. So, here it's really, yeah, you got, oh, oh you guys got Hebrews, that's okay, don't worry about it. You're, that's okay, I read it, I got a little cheat sheet here. So in Ephesians chapter 2, it's great. He uses a phrase, we are all fellow citizens of the household of God. Clearly the opposite of the idea of circumcision. Why? Circumcision, if you're not circumcised, you're cut off from the people. Here, Paul is saying we are all fellow citizens of the household of God. To the Galatians, he's saying this. Okay, Hebrews chapter 8. 
its relationship to the discussion. Yes, yes. Okay, the word covenant. Yeah? For if the first covenant had been faultless, then there would have been no need for a second one. So he's basically saying, if the first covenant and circumcision was really just good enough, we would not have needed another agreement. And we have another agreement with Christ. And then the other verse that I really like. Can we say Oh, what is it? I don't know. I don't have the I just have my notes. I didn't write down. What is it? <laughs> you can read it. <laughs> Oh, okay, cool. That's a nice verse. I like that. That's the word I wrote down. Yeah. Okay. Don't. Yeah. Um, and the fourth one. Yes. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by their hand to lead them out of. No, not by their. By the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Absolutely. So the idea, it wasn't my verse, by the way. But yeah, but the idea is exactly that, right? The same idea. The old covenant, if it was sufficient, there would be no need for a second one. But there's clearly a second one. And the second one, again, I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Not, you will be circumcised in the flesh and if you don't, you're cut off from my people. It's, I will write my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. If you needed any further convincing that St. Paul is trying to emphasize the intention of what we do, this is it. Okay. Uh, Colossians 2. I thought the verse was Colossians. Okay. Okay, Buna. It's cheating, but go ahead. <laughs> Did anyone get Colossians? It's okay. It's okay. We'll allow it. The, the, yeah. the ninth verse. Why submit to your own husband? <laughs> no, not that verse, Buna. <laughs> This is the one that relates to Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. So that's the 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 old covenant was just an act and a set of laws. The new one is specifically because of Christ on the cross, and we are specifically called to participate with Him in a sacrament that we call baptism. Which any time we read about baptism from the church fathers, it's described as a death and burial and then and then coming out of the water right so it's not again why do you dunk the baby it's kind of cool to see the baby kind of like you know when they before they cry they pause a little bit like they're shocked at what happened yeah okay that would make no sense to someone who didn't know the reason for that in the sacrament right there is also nice verses in chapter three i know yeah. No, that's okay. I'm good. No, that's he then goes on to list the specific works and character of the new person in Christ. So if you if you thought that St. Paul was only using his words, you only need to look to these two isolated verses to see he walks the walk. And he walks the walk with 
he can't walk the walk because he's already been circumcised. And he can't, like we said, uncircumcise himself. That's not an accepted medical procedure yet. But he has two disciples and he does the exact opposite thing with each of them. Does anything, anybody know anything about Timothy? Timothy was? Disciple of St. Paul. Timothy was? Greek and half? Half Jewish, but not circumcised. And Timothy ended up becoming the bishop in? In Ephesus. And what did Acts 16, chapter 3? Remember, Acts 16, chapter 3 is right after Acts 15. It is right after this whole council where the apostles said, you don't need to be circumcised to be Christian. And what did St. Paul do to Timothy? He told him, you have to go get circumcised. Why on earth would he tell this grown man, go get circumcised after a council? Like if you were Timothy, what would you say to Paul? Dude, were you asleep through the whole council? Like you missed the point of the council. Why am I getting circumcised? Anybody know why? Why would he go and circumcise? Speaks to a little bit of the verse that, 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 that you had brought up. Why would he circumcise Timothy? Was it for Timothy's sake? So, in fact, if you read the verse, Paul tells Timothy, do this, because he doesn't want this to be a distraction to the people in his service. He says, I know you don't need to do it. I know you know you don't need to do it. But they don't know. And they are getting distracted by this. So just go do it. Because we have bigger plans for these people when it comes to Christ. And you're half Jewish, they're always going to think that you weren't following the law. So just go do it. This is important. Because there are tons of times in our life when we are called to do something and we know the reason for it is dubious. And yet, sometimes we ignore the reason that we do it as an example for taking away a stumbling block for other people. Like, anybody here have a younger sibling? You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? There are tons of times where you did something for your younger, younger sibling that you didn't want to do and you knew better, but you did it, you went out of your way to do it because you were being seen as an example. Does that make sense? Okay, Galatians 2, verse 3. Literally the exact opposite. Who's Titus? <laughs> Who's Titus? Lesser known disciple of Paul. Yeah. And yet probably Paul's favorite because he didn't get him circumcised. <laughs> and, Paul, and Titus is not Jewish. And yet people were wanting him to be circumcised. And w can somebody pull up Galatians 2, chapter 3? Or sorry, chapter 2, verse 3? Yeah, not even Titus who was with me being a Greek was compelled to be circumcised. Paul is bragging to the Galatians telling them, no. We didn't let them circumcise Titus. He was Greek, and we wanted, and they were going to do it for the wrong reason. As opposed to Timothy, where it was going to be a distraction to them, with Titus doing it was going to be a distraction to the people he was serving. So we insisted that he not get circumcised. So what's the take-home message about circumcision from St. Paul? He literally forced a grown man to do it, and he literally went out of his way to prevent another grown man to do it. 
And they at the same time said, well, you know, I grew up a Pharisee, and yet at the same time says, well, it was all lost. It was a waste of my time. It all matters why you're doing it. If you wanted to compare circumcision and baptism, you have kind of like a few of these points and probably more that we get from St. Paul. I won't belabor them. And when I say the term Pharisaic tragedy, I'm referring to that idea of doing something just for the sake of doing it without the actual intention behind it. And this is something that is not just back when there were Pharisees. This is something that we are all faced with every day. So if you wanted to know why baptism is so important and that it's not just like a sign for the flesh, again, we have from the words of the Lord himself why we have to be baptized. This is what he told Nicodemus. So basically, circumcision in a lot of ways became a symbol of the law and how the law will never be followed perfectly. And so it became a symbol, when you read the writings of St. Paul, of us being condemned because of our sin. And so he said, if you are depending on your works, good luck, because it's not going to work. As opposed to baptism, you could say, okay, I get baptized, but what happens after I get baptized? I sin again. I got baptized and I sinned yesterday. Am I under the same condemnation or no? What's different? What's different with baptism compared to circumcision? Circumcision, you're part of God's people, and then if you don't follow the law, you're not part of God's people even if you were circumcised. Remember all the people in Sinai? What about baptism? Isn't it the same though? I got baptized and now I sin again? And why is that? Just because it's like a it's it's a magic rule because is that is that the like the the cheat code on the video game? Like why why does it work that way? It works that way because Jesus's death on the cross and his redemption of our sin was backward and forward. His redemption was for us enough to cover what we were about to do. And so we know this because he tells the disciples those who are clean only need to wash their, their feet, right? You don't need to be baptized twice. You don't need to be baptized every time you sin. But you do need to come back to, you need to, you need to at least be worthy of, of, of that blood that he shed on the cross. So if, probably the best book to read about this is Salvation in the Orthodox Concept by His Holiness Pope Shenouda very long and good description of how our salvation is a continuing thing, not just when we were baptized. That's different than some Christians. Some Christians will say that once you're baptized, you're good to go. And yet, in the Orthodox concept, salvation is a lifelong thing. So the take-home message about circumcision and why I think this feast is kind of important is because it's a reminder not so much about circumcision, but it's more of a reminder to us about why we're doing certain things that we're doing. And we should be careful because we, like all human beings, but let's face it, Coptic people, for whatever reason, are just genetically, for those of us who are Copts, are genetically predisposed to being just a little bit louder and more stubborn about things. 
We often will defend things that we really, really think we have to do without understanding why we're doing it. No, no, no. You have to wear blue on Wednesday. No, no, no. If you don't wear blue on Wednesday, that's a problem. Why are we wearing blue on Wednesday? So the intention is really important. And we're all at potential risk of this. And if you really want to read the nice kind of summary, okay, where do I go from here? What ties it all together from St. Paul's writings? You can read this chapter. Actually, I think I wrote down the wrong chapter. Yeah, sorry, chapter 13, verse 9 to 13. How do I know? What's 1 Corinthians 13 about? Love. So I always know it's chapter 13. So if you go to the end of love does this, love does that, love does this, love does that, if you go to the very end, it's beautiful. Anybody want to read the last uh, four verses and then and then I'll stop talking, I promise? I almost promise. I promise. Last few verses of First Corinthians chapter 13, not chapter 9. 9 and yeah. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when mm-hmm. that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as also I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. You can kind of think of St. Paul describing his spiritual journey from his time as a Pharisee to his time as the Apostle. As I was a child, I followed these rules. I didn't understand why I was doing it. But now I put away childish things. And in our own spiritual life, we are often in a similar, small kind of versions of this pathway. I follow these rules. I don't understand them. I grow up and I start understanding. And then it's not that I completely put away the rules, but I grab onto the intention and I keep doing the rules the same way that he did, the same way that he forced Timothy to get circumcised. But it's, it's a different meaning for him. And the goal is that eventually I will be able to see God face to face. Not these rules and these acts that I do that are designed to bring me closer, but sometimes if I look at it the wrong way, distract. Ironically enough, that's exactly Abraham. The beginning of this whole mess was that Abraham was so close to God. Was that Abraham was as close to -to face-to-face with God. God gave him the covenant, and then we all get distracted, and then in the end, we put away childish things, and then if we're lucky, we get back to where Abraham was initially. There's a word of caution. St. Paul brings it up in one of the readings that we brought, and St. Peter brings it up in this reading. There's a wonderful term as a cloak for vice, as as a... you know, a cloak, like a jacket. Um, it is easy to become too far on a pendulum. It is easy to say, well, then it all doesn't matter. I don't need to do anything. And then we're not faith working through love. We're just one of them. And we refuse to do anything to show our, uh, our faith. So take on points. Is circumcision necessary? No. Is it allowed? Sure. Some people do it as a medical procedure. Why do people do it? A whole bunch of different reasons. Why do I care? 
Not so much because of the circumcision. I care because the intention behind my actions is what mattered the whole time. Any comments? Sorry, went long. Comments? Okay. this why uh, on everything that we do like uh, as, as Mike said like in the liturgy in everything that we do is to ask the why why do I do what I do I kind of personally started to develop something when I uh, when people come and confess uh, regularly they list the sins okay you're absolved no worries no problem but then comes the second part which is the uh, uh, the spiritual things so Bible reading and masses and the fasting and the prayers so I, I, I stopped or I'm trying intentionally to, to, to stop or to shift from how about your Bible reading how about your uh, uh, prayers I don't say this anymore but I try to say how about your connection with God I realized that we need to put the significance in why do I do what I do why do I pray is it just to cover like a listing or a checklist that I prayed, I did this, I did this, which would be kind of self-righteousness, or if I don't do it, I feel too much guilty and, ho and hopelessness, or as opposed to, no, I'm doing it with a purpose of, I'm doing this to connect with God. If I pray, I pray to connect with God. If I read the Bible, it is to connect with God. If I fast, it is to connect with God. If I attend the liturgy, it is to connect with God who is offering me the kingdom who is the king so I need to be connected to the king you cannot go into someone's house without knowing the person you cannot go I cannot go into Mike's house without knowing him without knowing his his family otherwise I wouldn't be saying who's this stranger coming to my coming to my house so again thank you thank you Mike I hope this is something